So Feast, Feast Street today is a, a relatively, like, comparatively, it's a relatively large business. How many, how many employees have you got now? Uh, so we've got um, across part-time and full-time, um, we've probably got, when we're, when we're running at full capacity, somewhere in the region of 50 to 70. So, and that's come from you and Nicola yeah. on... Uh, yeah. At Stratford Market. Uh, well, it actually came from me, me and Nick at Kidderminster Market. So a lot less exciting than Stratford. Stratford came later, uh, but yeah, it started on Kidderminster Market. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we, we, in, and we, we it was after a two-year wait because obviously my family run markets, and there is a uh, there 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 is I think an uh, an assumption that we've got a successful business because my family run markets and because of that, I just get given all these pitches. Uh, but actually, um, we absolutely run our businesses as two completely different entities, so far different that actually myself and my new assistant went for a meeting there the other day. And by the time we finished the meeting, she didn't even realise I was related to the people in the meeting. And I'm being serious because it's completely commercial. We have no connection financially to one another apart from I pay them an awful lot of money per year uh, to operate on their shows. Um, great business, great company, one of the best I work with in the country, and that's not me being biased. They really are. Um, and uh, uh, But ultimately, when I wanted my first pitch, the people who were operating back in those days, which a large proportion of the monopoly uh, was taken up by the show people um, because they'd done the job very well for many, many years. And because of that, they had the monopoly. Uh, and, and so rightly should they have had that monopoly. But it made it very difficult to get in because they would do com- they would do exclusive right deals. You know, numerous con- exclusive right deals were done with all sorts of shows. So when I made the decision that food in the street needed huge improvement and I was going to have a go at doing it, the first people I naturally went to was my family's business and said, look, I want a, I want a food pitch. I said, well, join the waiting list then. And I was kind of a little bit like, really though? They were like, yeah, because some of these people are our clients and they've been with us for years. You're, we're quite happy for you to join that waiting list. So I did. And I waited two years for a new pitch. And a lot of people don't think that. A lot of people are just like, oh, you know, no, his, his parents were in markets, that's it. He just gets given everything. Just absolutely not the case. Um, so, I'm, I was, I'm, and you know what? I was fine with that. I thought, you know what? The last thing I want to do is start by making it look like somebody else has given me my success. I've not generated it through hard work. So I waited two years. Ultimately, a new contract was won at Kidderminster. And they finally came to me and said, we've got a pitch for you. Um, it's probably not the one you want. It's not a game changer, but it's a little community market and it's probably the perfect place for you to start. So I started on a Thursday. Uh, it wasn't even a weekend. And myself and Nick went down with our little gazebo that we'd set up. Bear in mind, <coughs> there was nothing like this. No one had seen this kind of thing before. Um, everything was done out of a burger van. So we had 70, 70, 70 centimetre paella pans that we'd imported from Spain, a pop-up gazebo, some of these little build-up bars with stools so you could sit and watch us making the food. So we tried to create that little bit of, a, you know, maybe like when you're in Selfridges and you can sit up those little counters and either have sushi or... So it was that kind of vibe, but with hot dogs. Um, and the reason we chose hot dogs was we... Back in those days, market customers were your, your nan and granddad or people looking for a bargain. You know, they weren't university lecturers or, you know, people with a lot of money like that, like visit markets now because it's trendy and they want the street food. None of that existed. And if you were going to the market, you were getting a greasy 
bacon sandwich, you know, that probably wasn't going to be that great, um, but you'd get it at, you know, £1.50. And so for us to create a menu to fit in with those customers, we needed to be able to offer them something quality, but quite simple, because they're just not going to buy Venezuelan food out of a shipping container. They just wouldn't even know what that was. And, um, and so we created a hot dog menu um, from a local award-winning sausage um, from Wenlock Edge Farm in Shropshire. Um, fantastic farm, breed all their own pigs, you know, so it's all of their own free-range stuff. They, they manufacture everything there on the farm. And it's won numerous gold awards. So we naturally went to those, said to them, well, we want to like to buy a range of your flavours, black pudding, apple, cheddar and mustard, all these lovely flavours. So you'd choose one, then you'd have it served in a fresh bun that had been delivered to us from a local bakery that morning. Everything had turned up warm and fresh. Um, and, you know, chopped real onions, not this rehydrated kind of porridge that... F- taste of onions that you know was been in going in burgers for years um real food just real simple simple food simple menu simple food done well and that's what we still do now and um we just started serving the local you know, local market shoppers of kidderminster but because it was the wow factor out of a 70 centimeter essentially frying pan but it was a paella pan um with all these different flavoured sausages, they were big and chunky and you could sell they were like coarsely ground so they were quality um People, you just looked and it, 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 you could tell by the way we branded it and the way we marketed it and the way we displayed it that it was quality food. And so from that, if sales just started coming in and we were a little bit more pricey than, than, than your burger van people, but people didn't mind they, and they used to pay it. And um, we actually had some really unusual reactions. You know, we had one particular couple who I found out later on as like a distant relative of an ex-prime minister very very posh and they used to they they were they lived like in a very large house outskirts of Kidderminster somewhere and they used to come into the town do their bit of shopping and her exact words were to me the one day she said I don't normally eat from people in the street she was like but this is lovely you know and and as much as that was a little bit like oh wow okay <laughs> like a, a peasants like us normally uh she meant it in a true in, in as a compliment she was like saying the quality's normally rubbish we wouldn't normally buy, but this is really lovely. We like it. And they came and they sh- ate from me every week for about five years. And they were regular customers. Um, and obviously back in those days, we were still serving teas and coffees out of polystyrene and all those awful things that you used to do back in those days. And I, I we ended up getting mugs for them because she wouldn't drink out of a polystyrene cup. So every time she came, she had her own teacup. And then she would have like a hot dog from us. And uh, it was really bizarre. But Are you still in contact with her? No, no. I, I, eventually when we sold, I sold that company eventually. Um, and uh, it went with those customers, went with the new owners and stuff. Um, and as far as I was aware, right up until recently, which is, you know, probably 15 years ago, that was, um, that uh, maybe 13 years ago, that they're, they're still going and uh, still going, still got their customers. Um, so, you know, it was, um, which which is lovely to see. Um, but yeah, so... Um, so that was the Kimber Sausage Company. So that was Kimber Sausage Company. And ha- yeah. So how did that transition from the Kimber Sausage Company to modern day Fee Street, or at least the beginnings of Fee Street? Yeah, so ultimately what happened was I built the sausage company up till we were running multiple vans. And we were operating for people around the country. It was so unique. It hadn't seen before. There was no street food. You know, we didn't even know we were street food, you know, essentially. We were well ahead of our time. We just, it came from a necessity of there was just no good food in the street. So that's where we came from. We started calling ourselves street food after street food started coming in because we didn't really even know what that meant. Obviously, street food in the Far East and, you know, places like that has been going for years. It's where it comes from. 
Street food as we know it now in the UK is relatively new. You know, boomed over the last decade. We've been going for um, 17 years this year. So we were a number of years ahead of ourselves. Um, so when the street food boom started to come in, um, by that point I was stupidly probably putting the business on the market and moving, wanting to move into bars and restaurants, which is what I did. Um, and we ran those successfully for a number of years and then you know we had a number of issues go wrong with the business it ultimately went into administration um so from that i decided um because it hit me very personally very hard i I was a personal bankrupt by the time i was 40 uh probably a little bit overconfident from a successful business from an early age um and uh, wasn't aware of the risks and so i went back to what i knew and i was like i'm going back on the market I'm going back on myself, you know, at that point, my wife, we'd got children, so she, she wasn't working and I lost everything. And I basically said, well, the only way that I can really get going again and feed the children that I've got responsibilities for is to start from scratch, get an old van, get myself a little street food business and get going again. And it's what I did from scratch. Uh, but because I knew the business so well, I knew very quickly how to make it successful. So quite quickly, I started managed to get a second one. Then I started to take on employees, eventually moved into my premises. As that started to grow, we were still only doing kind of burgers, hot dogs, chips, that kind of thing, but all good quality as we always had. And our niche was, very, you know, gone because good quality food in the street you could get now of all sorts of different cuisines from around the world. And it was great because street food had boomed. So now it was more difficult for me to start getting gigs because we're like, well, we've got burgers and hot dogs, really good ones. So I thought, okay, so I've lost my niche now and I've come back into this business and while I've been out of it, it's boomed and you're no longer that specialist person that people go to anymore. So I thought, okay, well, how do I get that back? How do I go back to being the street food people that you go to, which is what we once were? And I realised quite quickly that the the gap in the market for us was that anything done at scale couldn't be managed well by those individual street food street food vendors because, and, and I am generalising slightly, some are able to do reasonable volume, but I'm talking serious volume. I'm talking 50 to 100,000 meals over a 10-day major sporting event. That's the kind of level that we can deliver on now. And I realised that there was very few people that could do that, if any, in the in the country. So you've now got a distinct problem. Major sporting venues, major music festivals, any large-scale shows that create large footfall. You can't put mo- the majority of your independent street food people into those shows because they won't manage the volume. Their food's lovely, but they're not geared up to keep it coming. So I realised that actually you've got two choices here. If you are one of those type of events that has large amounts of public, you've either got to have poor range and poor quality or you've got to go with an independent vendor who's going to do be great, but he's only going to serve a few people and they're going to run out and your customers are going to be unhappy. So I realised there was a massive gap in the market. And so we put ourselves right in there. And over the last three to four years, we've basically created the largest range of street food. Probably, we probably got the largest range of street food. I, I'm, I'm estimating, but I would say we're definitely in the top five largest range of street food cuisines available from one single company from anyone in the UK. And that's 25 brands currently that we're sitting on of every type of street food you can think of from Middle Eastern, Mexican, Greek food, burgers, mac and cheese, you name it, we, we do it. So I created all these different brands, all these different cuisines. I started taking on, you know, corporate 
background chefs from people like Sodexo, Baxter Story, large-scale catering operators, and saying to them, I'm creating a street food model that fits in at high-level event um, footfall shows, but it has to be restaurant quality. And even they were a little bit like, how are you going to do that? And I said, don't know, but we're going to make it work. And that is the biggest gap in the market there is. So we have positioned ourselves there. We took on a large premises, um, commercial kitchens, installed commercial kitchens into this large premises, an ex-meat factory. So all our production is done there now. A team of chefs working on, the, working on it. And we're now able to provide over 35 trading concessions on any one day uh, of a range of up to 25 different global cuisines. And we're able to serve, you know, a... a, a Ten to ten to fifteen thousand people per day, um, on uh, per, on on full meals. So, by being in that gap, the phone just started ringing, and um, we now provide services to probably over four hundred shows a year, and uh, we've won some contracts with some major global sporting events, which probably some of you will know who that is coming to the Midlands this year, um, which I'll be announcing soon. Uh, but those are some of the level of the contracts that we're now operating at. And um, we're distinctly targeting the sports market because it's very poor and it, and it's crazily poor for the amount of money that you pay for. I think you're a season ticket holder, aren't you, James? Used to be. Or used to be, used yeah. Used to be, yeah. yeah. So the yeah. amount of money that you're spending to go there, you'd expect better. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd, you'd, go, to, you'd go to grounds up and down the country and be served some of the worst food that I've ever experienced, <laughs> yet you're paying a tenner for it. Yeah. And I absolutely want to talk about the sports market. I absolutely want to go into these. Maybe not this podcast, but in maybe some future ones, we can go really deep into that. Yeah. But what I would like to go into a little bit further is when you when you first went from... So, you see, you went from Kim Sausage Company, then went into clubs and bars, left that, and then came back. So did you go straight into Handmade Burger Company... So which 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 brands did you have at the time when you first went back? Well, actually, when I first went back, I created Feast Street, and it was just a burger, hot dog, and chips brand called Feast Street. And actually, Feast Street, as we know it now, people don't realise that actually was my first brand. And then what happened was, I realised that Feast Street didn't really have a meaning. And actually, you know, one of the things I always advise people on doing is, excusing the pun, but you've got to spoon feed the public and that starts with your brand. So you will know now that Fee Street is our overall brand and doesn't serve a particular type of food. It's the name of our company. It's the trading name. And then underneath that is our 25 brands. And those 25 brands, I'll give you a few examples. Of, this is how hard it is to work out what we sell. Uh, so we've got Pit Stop Pork and Ribs, the gourmet chip company. We've got Street Greek. We have got Mac Shack. We've got uh, the Toasty Hut. You know, we, we, we've we've got these uh, these. You know, our pizza is our pizza one is called Carnival Pizza, right? There's no way you're not going to know what it is once you've read the logo, and that's rule number one of street food. It's great calling it J and R's or you know or or this or that or all these quirky, super cool names. But it takes the customer 10 minutes to even work out what you're selling because they're looking at you at a festival site from across the way and it, all they can see from there is it just says, you know... Well, a couple of letters. Yeah, J&R's or, you know, or, or Shaq or, you know... And it's Shaq selling what, though? You know, you just don't know. So every single one of our logos, apart from Fee Street itself, which is our trading name, tells you exactly what you're going to get. 
uh, and it starts by being that simple. Simple logo, simple menu, simple to read, very easy to work out how much it is. So did you see that quite a lot when you were presumably doing some market research before you started or along the way? Did you see a lot of street food vendors whose branding was a little bit ambiguous? Yeah, and I see, and I still see it now. I see it loads. You know, you'll have someone in a horse box, and people will be walking up to them. You know, they they, they sell you know certain type of food out of a horse box, and you'll get someone walk up and say, "Can you get a pint of cider, please?" <laughs> it's a prime example, you know. And I literally happened on a, on a show we were running recently, and uh, you know they, they they asked to move us. They said, "Can you move us?" People think we're a bar because we're next to a bar, but there was food the other side. They didn't know what they were, and it was just because. It wasn't very easy to work out. Um, and it's just rule number one of, you know, generally new street food traders. They just think about, okay, I need to have a beard and be ch- have a check shirt on. And that, that'll fit in perfectly with the street, street food boom. You know, am I cool enough? Is my trailer super cool? Is my name so cool that actually, you know, it's a riddle that I've got to work out because it makes me really cool. It's just like, I don't really care about cool. I really care about cues. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't really matter what your Instagram looks like. It's it's no. what you're taking home. Yeah, yeah. And, and and ultimately, so it, you know, people, a lot of street food people will be listening to this podcast, and they'll be like, "I don't really like Fee Street. I think they're quite commercialised brands." And actually, we are, and we don't try and hide behind that. We're not. We 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 don't apologise for being a commercialised brand. We've got really good ethos. We've been using biodegradable for years before people were using biodegradable. We were using biodegradable before Jamie Oliver started doing using biodegradable. That's how that's how ahead of the time we were. And we do lots of things that are have got a great ethos. You know, we do community school projects with which where we go into schools and we teach children. It's non profit. It costs us money to do it. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Those families are customers to us. Their parents spend lots of money with us when they come to events. We give back to the community. But what we don't do is apologize for being a commercialized business because we, we that's what we are and because of that we're not bothered about being super cool what we're bothered about is being are we good quality do people understand what it is and is it value for money and that is what you get from us so i think probably the 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 biggest mistake i've seen people doing is trying to have that super cool london vibe where and i love that don't get me wrong right but if it affects your sales there's automatically just a no for me um and and people get it wrong you know they 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 make it too difficult to understand they have a chalkboard with their prices on which you know you need a microphone a a magnifying glass to be able to read you know and it it all stems back if I'm honest, it, it doesn't it, it isn't quite stem back from me being some street food genius because I'm certainly not that. You know, the reason why we've got a successful business is because I've balled it all up loads of times. And all these mistakes that I'm gonna try and help people to avoid by people logging in and listening to this podcast, it's just to save you loads and loads and loads of years of completely and utterly ballsing it up like I have. And and that's why I know what I'm doing. But also because I'm from a market family and you know, my grandfather, when I was working with him in high, fantastically successful fruiter, brilliant businessman, shops and market stores all over the country, you know, lorry loads of fruit going out on a daily basis. And he used to say to me, flash is cash. Make it look sure it looks good. Make sure the customers understand it. Make sure they know how much it is. And that's why you'll never go past a fruit store and go, how much are those apples? Do you think about a fruit store you've ever walked past? Have you ever not seen giant prices on a fruit store? You know straight away how much it is. It's so much per pound or, you know, it's one of these top things. And it was rule number one. He said, 
if a customer has to approach you to ask how, some, how much something is, you've likely lost the sale because people have this kind of social anxiety about walking up to somebody and going, how much is that? Because if it's too expensive, they don't want to say, uh, okay, no thanks, and walk away. You need to, so he said, let them make their decision about how good it looks and how much it is before they've even got near you. And that's what, I, and that's the that's the rule we live that we live by. You'll see, you'll see Street Greek. Then below that, you'll see our menu boards, and they're and they're not written in tiny writing, explaining every detail that's in that dish, and then a tiny price. It will just say chicken gyros, and the price, and then detail of what's in it is very small below. If you really want to see, you can walk up. But are you happy with the price, and do you know what it is? That's and that's the rule number one. That, Everybody, well, a lot of people make that mistake. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna smell it, and you're gonna see it in the yeah. giant pans. Yeah, see, everything's there for you. That makes yeah, that that makes total sense. So which so when you when you when you went from Fee Street into all these separate brands, which were the first ones that you went for? What 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 stuck out to you that ah, there's a massive gap in the market. We need this, or this is trendy at the minute, and no one else and no one's doing it in this market or this area. Which were the first ones that that, that stuck out to you? Um, well, if I'm honest, I started by trying to lock off all the cornerstones of street food, what the event organisers go with. So we were already doing burgers and hot dogs. Pulled pork was a huge one at the time. Still is, but it was that that pulled pork yeah. boom that everybody saw. So we locked that one off. Um, and then, you know, loaded fries. Again, another cornerstone of street food. You know, you're, you're pretty much always going to see a loaded fries stall where somewhere you go. So we locked off that one. Mac and cheese then had a boom, so we locked that one off. And then after that, it was really, once we got really all the cornerstones of street food, pizza, mac and cheese, burgers, pulled pork, loaded fries, we then started to give our range a little bit more of a foodie edge. So we wanted some more international cuisines in there. So we, so we did Chinese food, for example, which is not particularly adventurous. Everybody eats Chinese food, but we it's a great seller and actually what we've done is we've just done your typical chinese takeout favorites because it's you know it's not super authentic you know a friend of mine a friend of mine um, that i went to school with his family owned a chinese takeaway and he now runs it and uh he, he said to me chinese food is not really chinese he said it's the mcdonald's of china and i was like okay and he went he said better quality but what i mean by that is it's fast food he was like you my grandmother doesn't serve me this he said, so, but it tastes great, you know, so and it's what we all used to, it's what we like. So we don't go with the super authentic Chinese, super healthy kind of thing, you know, because it's just not what people really want. So we, if you come and us, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get chicken and mushroom curries, you're going to get sweet and sour, you're going to get black bean, you know, choose rice and noodles, you know, uh, fried rice, etc. It's just what people love. I, I love it and I, I, and I buy it. So we locked off Chinese food and then we moved into a little bit more unusual stuff by doing... Greek food, um, Middle Eastern kebabs and things like Mexican with the burritos and stuff like that. But again, it's not anything super, super adventurous. You know, it's like I keep mentioning Venezuelan. I'm a particular Venezuelan street food fan because it's a lot of the time it's wheat free, which I, I have to be wheat free. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's still quite niche. I think if you're in the London market, lots of people buy it. But I think a lot of people wouldn't even know what where Venezuela was and what type of food they serve. What type of food do they serve? So it's it's South American. So it's obviously they've got like this, everything is corn rather than wheat based. So you'll get like almost like a corn, it's like a corn um, 
Like um, a wrap. Like, like a pitta almost, so, really, yeah. but it's made of corn. They'll put like in it, like some of the typical kind of uh, South American stuff, a bit like Mexican stuff. So it's like beans, uh, guacamole, and then shredded pork, shredded chicken, salad, things like that. And I buy from um, I buy from a particular one in um, at, uh, Camden Lock Market, and uh, it's, the food's fantastic. And uh, so we'll go. So we, you know, we don't use, we don't have quite the unusual range to that level at this point, but we have enough unusual ones that when we're going and taking a contract and we're running the entire food and beverage operation for a festival, they really have a super range. They've got all sorts of different international foods. So we've got Indian food, Greek food, Mexican food, Chinese food, Middle Eastern. So there's some real, you know, global cuisines in there. And then all your cornerstone street food I mentioned earlier. So um, you're covering your foodies and your mass market, you know, but everything we pump out is as it would be if you was ordering it in a restaurant. That level of quality. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So we went from there to. So that shot really. That I, I remember at the time. So, so, so that's that sign over there. You, obviously, everyone watching this won't be able to see that. But there's a sign in the background with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different street food brands on, and suddenly that exploded to twenty five over the space of what was it six months? See, yeah, probably six to ten months. I would have thought. And what made what made you what made you expand it so quickly? And what um, and how did you do that logistically? Um, obviously, by that point, I'd already started to build my team, my kitchen team. And the reason I suddenly was uh, uh, pushed it out so quick was from just those few that we had. People started saying, "Oh, have you seen the range these guys have got?" And I started to get a really fantastic reaction. And then by me saying to them, "Look, we're geared up. We can just do all your food and drink for you." We can just make it easy for you. You don't need to go out to anybody else. We, you know, all our compliance comes from one person. We'll just pay you one invoice. I'll handle all the safety. You know, you all you've got to do is just agree that I'm going to run this for you and I'm going to make your life for this event really easy. You can go and work on something else, and it's uh, it's something that operators do like. Um, they like that ease of of service from somebody like us. And I realised that actually, if I'm getting this kind of reaction off just those few handfuls of bra- a handful of brands, what about if I was to give them the largest range of street food available from one company in this country? You know, and so we started doing that. And by doing that, you know, w- w- I re- my phone rings regularly for random number. Hi, I've been past your details. Um, you know, somebody said you can just so- sort this for us, and uh, the business started to sell itself. You know, and obviously we use a lot of visual media, uh, as you know. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, by constantly advertising the fact through our visual media that this is what you can get from us, um, people were just like, well, why do we need to even have the hassle of finding other people, finding other vendors, finding, you know, chasing invoices, chasing compliance paperwork, which, you know, unfortunately, there's a, there is a few companies out there they're all a little bit difficult to deal with when it comes to that stuff and uh, so it becomes a little bit you know tedious for certain organizers so we find actually quite often we get organizers come to us just going last year was just a nightmare i can't i'm not doing that again you know can you just handle it and i send them one link for now you know we might put in there you know there's a bike show that we're doing this year we're putting 24 different units in there six coffee three ice cream vans and they they got one link that supplied them with all the compliance for the, all of those different brands, all the different pieces of equipment across all the different units. And how much time do you think you're saving them by 
by doing that. Oh, loads. Endless amounts, yeah. I mean, because we, you know, we offer management services where we won't just come in there and just do the food. I'll say to them, look, have you got other vendors? Do you want me to manage them for you? Do you want me to chase them for you? Do you want my team to chase them for the compliance for you? So we'll go in as lead caterer. And they'll say, right, guys, these are the lead caterers. You're welcome back this year, but they are the main caterer. They're our management agent. You've got to go through them. So I can literally take all the work off them if need be. I'll just say, let's do a contract, hand it over to me, you know, and if you've got caterers in there that are a little bit slow on paying invoices or, you know, sending their compliance paperwork in, why don't you just let us have the headache? We'll chase them for you. Um, you know, and we'll pay the we'll pay, we'll pay the invoice up front anyway. So we're just we're charging them directly. So they've they've got all of their money and no headache. And are you, are you finding that that's you're getting a lot of a lot of business through that through the ease of working with you? Yeah, yeah, we get loads. You know, and 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 we're a hi, we're a completely hybrid business. So you know, we we're not the type of business that likes to go in somewhere and say we'll make your life easier. Just kick all these guys off that have been on here for the last 20 years because, you know, they might be doing it part-time, so they could be a little bit slow sending their compliance stuff in because they've got a full-time job. You know, we understand this stuff. We're not a, you know, we're not a, a cannibalization business. We don't go in and say, get rid of all of these and we'll, you know, we'll just take all the money. That's just not how we work. But what we do do is go, what do you need as an organiser? Okay, well, look, I want to keep all these independents. They've been with me for years. They're really loyal. But, you know... Some of them work full-time or some of them are a little bit slow on their paperwork. Or some of them are a little bit older and they're not actually that great on digital and we, we need it to be digital. You know, or they've got it in a folder and they have to take photos of it and it's slow. So we'll go, okay, cool. Let's sit down then. Let's look after these guys. Let's look after these independents. But what can we do to make that process easier for you? And that's what we'll do. So we'll either go in and go, we'll just run the whole lot for you. Or we'll go in and we'll do, you know, we'll 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 manage the tr- existing traders you've got in there. Or or sometimes they just go, do you know what? We just need some more unusual brands, or we need people who can go through the volume quicker because our queues are too long and people are complaining at our festival. So we we pretty much fit in with what the organizer needs, as long as it's commercially viable. Um, we'll 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 basically build a model to fit what the organizer's stresses are and take it away. Interesting, interesting. So. Let's go back a little bit. You did. You, you mentioned visual media, and you mentioned. I, I don't think we've spoken about it on here, um, but we've we've spoken extensively for, for obvious reasons about the way that you use videos and the way that you, yeah. you. It's a little bit different to how any of my other clients use video. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about what you do with the products that we make. Yeah. So I mean, the majority of the videos that your company makes for me are aimed at the commercial market. It's you know it's business to business marketing rather than business to customer because the majority of the shows that we go to the deal is we provide the services you bring the people so we don't really need to do what a lot of the more independent street foodies do who don't work on large scale shows they might do pop ups for example on car parks or and they're reliant on creating a sole brand so you've got some really fantastic brands in the West Midlands you know you've got Baked in Brick you've got you know, you've got the English Indian, you've got like lots of these ones. A lot of them are associated to the Digbeth model. When they're working at Digbeth, it's not so bad because obviously the Digbeth guys, they track the, the numbers and they've got a good brand there. Uh, but if they're working on their own and they're doing a pop-up, they obviously quite often need to have a good following on their social media directly to their customer base to get them to, um, to turn up on the day. To turn up on the day, to be able to generate those sales. We don't really do any of that top work. We work uh, all contractual stuff. So we don't actually have to have a direct following with the, the actual public because 
our fixed sites, we're there all the time. Stratford upon Avon, you know, 48 weeks of the year, every single Sunday, 11 brands in there, food court. People know it's there. They've been coming there since 2012. They bring the families, they dine, they have a drink, sit by the river. Um, and we do a little bit of marketing for that. You've done, a, you've done a film for us for that, directly promoting that area, but that's quite rare. Most of, the, of what we do is promoting directly to what our customers are, i.e. organisers, sporting venues, um, or anybody else really that requires what we what the services we offer. So the majority of the videos that we've done together have have been aiming at that market, and it, I just think it's a, I just think it's a great tool, and I think it's what I think huge amounts of companies miss it uh, because you know they're either more focused on trying to make their business look really cool, or they're too or they're focused on directly talking to customers, but they miss the fact that actually they could be talking to business opportunities outside of just general customer sales. Um, so obviously for us, we, you know, I pitch directly to the camera to loads and loads and, and actually the reaction we've had off it has been phenomenal. I mean, you know, the, the the growth we've had would absolutely not have happened if we hadn't got the message out to them of what we do. So it's been key. The services you provided for me have been absolutely key because we can't, it's all right having loads of brands and a website but if you're not really driving traffic to those, and we don't really, it doesn't drive that much traffic to our website. We drive a little bit of traffic to the website. What really happens is they see this stuff on our social media platforms and then message us directly through that platform to say, this is great. You know, can you, you know, can we talk more? Can we jump on a Zoom? You know, can you send us a proposal? Um, or, or, you know, we'll, we'll do a proposal for people and we'll put all those live links into it. So actually, I did one the other day for a very well-known um, football club and the first thing I did at the top of the page, I had it all written. You could read the whole lot. But the first thing I did was I said, click it here. And they clicked it and watched me pitch it live to the camera, um, all about our business, showing all behind the scenes. So which video, which video did you send them first? Which was the one that was at the top? The one, the last one that we did regarding the sporting grounds. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, that, that, so that makes sense. So what was next? So after that, it was then really talking, so you read down a little bit, and it was talking about the food that we produce in our kitchens. So next minute, they click on it, said, meet my team in the back of the kitchen. So next minute, it's me walking around with you, and we're capturing all our chefs, making everything from scratch fresh. So we're not making this up. You know, it doesn't come in, in you know, it doesn't, co- doesn't come all pre-packaged, and then we, like, undo it all to make it look like it's all been made by our team. It comes in in fruit and veg from the wholesale market, you know, and and then, you know, it comes in as raw boxes of chicken. Everything gets marinated, everything's getting chopped, everything's getting prepped, you know. It's r- real food created by us. It's not a charade. So because of that, we wanted you to capture that for us. Walk around, and we, we, we went around, didn't we? We showed, we talked to the chefs, we watched them making the food, watched some of our teams on the prep. We went in the big cold rooms, went through some of the products that have been made, some of the chicken that was marinating in there. And we just showed everybody what it's about. And, and it just gives it shows the world that you really do practice what you preach. And, and um, you know, the other, the other day, we had a very well-known committee uh, come uh, to our Stratford site. And they'd seen all the films, they'd seen everything else. This committee was for the major sporting event in Birmingham this summer that we were supplying. And they wanted to come try the food. They wanted to have a look how we operate. And they wanted to see that the videos that we put out, great, they look okay. Is it real? Do these guys really do what they Did they say that? Yeah, yeah. Because they said that we're so niche, that their exact words were, the consultant for them said to me, 
this company's too good to be true, Ryan. So, you know, I hope you're real. And I just said to him, there is nothing fake and anyone can come and see it. Anyone's allowed to come to our depot and have a look at what we do, you know. And I said, um, you know, I invite people out. You know, we, we've, we just had a meeting yesterday with a major major shopping centre operator with about a new, a new potential model that we're bringing out. And I said to him, why don't you come to one of our food courts? Come and have a lunch on me, try the food, see how we operate, have a look at my team, have a look at them in their in their uniforms, have a look at their safety, have a look at their hygiene. And uh, I just said, there's nothing to hide, come and have a look. The uh, committee that came out. Yeah. Or, or, or Might the, need to beep that. Yeah, we'll beep, we'll beep, beep that. We'll beep that, yeah, beep that out, yeah. <laughs> the committee, should I say, that, the, 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 the committee, shall we say, that, uh, that came out for a major sporting event. Um, they said it was some of the best food they've ever tried for a pub, you know for for the public sports market. They just said it's you know it's they don't understand how we're able to do it at scale. And so you know the next thing is they're going to come here and watch how we produce stuff. You know, my chefs are producing you know some weekends you know some weeks ahead of a, ahead of a busy week and they'll produce a ton of marinated Greek chicken. That's just one brand. You know, so this is real handmade. You know, by them, it's there's no machines. This is how they 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 do. They, this is how it's done. If it was done in a restaurant, only how, how did you develop that logistically? How did you how did you go from being a market trader to having a a powerful like logistic a logistically powerful business that can deliver really large scale like like you mentioned what was it a hundred hundred thousand meals something like that? yeah so we've got to do uh, at that particular event we've got to do somewhere in the region of 50 to 100,000 meals over a 10 day period so it's five to ten thousand meals it's quite a big gap between Kimber Sausage Company and that <laughs> yeah so, so how yeah. did you how did you arrive at that uh well obviously you know scaling up bit by bit we've scaled up over over a period of time reinvestment and bringing in the right people so I've got a really fantastic team so I've got guys who've been with me for years who know the job amazingly well and then I've got um and then on top of that I've brought in specialist people so you know we've got we've got finance manager we've got a head chef my head chef is comes his background is Sodexo Baxter Story Compass you know Jockey Club those are major major corporates you know some of them global and I brought in people like him, you know, and, 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 and with the people I've got, I have to pay them well. You know, these are corporate professionals. But what I've done is I've said to them, look, I'm scaling this company. We are going to improve the special event market. And we've put a huge dent in that in the public show realm. But in the sports world, which we're now moving into, um, I'm confident within the next 24 months, you're going to see a distinct improvement in a number of large-scale sporting type venues um, and we'll be at the forefront of that and the only way that I could do that is to bring in people who are from those kind of level backgrounds that understand large-scale logistics you know major banqueting um, and 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 you know the logistics that are behind those kind of you know I mean my head chef fed a thousand people by himself by using a certain logistical process by banquet in the banqueting and uh, so the cost effectiveness of that delivery was amazing and and so he understands that so you know our depot now is like you know a couple of people call it a couple of people have called it like a wholesalers when they come in it's like a wholesalers because we have that much stock here and we hold you know several thousand pounds worth of stock all the time um and we call it building a job so when the guys go out they'll get they'll they'll they, you know they'll get a list of different particular from our event sheet they'll get a list of brands that are going to certain locations and they'll get a high mid or low stock estimate which is then structured into an Excel spreadsheet. So they put into an Excel spreadsheet mid and it 
populates every single brand and every single ingredient that must be packed to go out to that particular show. It's all structured. Um, and uh, so by that, our packing teams then go around, pack those, put them all in, get them ready, label those trolleys up, they get pushed into our cold rooms, and then when our operational teams arrive at five o'clock in the morning ready to go to shows, their trolleys are made up for them, ready to go out. And off they go, all prepped, all ready to go, chef-made food, labelled and ready to roll. And the only way I could do that is by bringing in people who have an understanding of that background, which is what I've done. Of course, it's, it's, recru- <laughs> it's recruiting people that, that have done a similar job, but for, for really big businesses that are logistically very strong. Yeah, and, th- and this is exactly it, but don't do what we do. So it's far insane to them, look, we're not the same business, so you can't put in the same format, but you are coming from that background. So you've got good ideas, stuff people have done that might be similar. Mm-hmm. So how can you help me to build sh- a street food business operator like we do doesn't exist, you know? So because of that, I can't copy anybody else. I've got to, f- I've got to make my own process. So the only way I've done that is to bring in people that come from a different level of scale catering, and ask them to, to adapt process to my market, which is what we've been doing. Um, and we currently we currently got a uh, online digital platform being built, which controls our full stock staffing and HR and all income um, through our PDQs and cash sales. And that one system is being built by a tech provider, which will give us a platform to be able to exp- scale the business even further from with a controlled method for wastage, stock control, staff, and um, income. So that sounds like something that, again, doesn't really exist, and that is, you, you're innovating in, in that way as well. How did, how did that come about? Um, we worked with a tech provider um, on a number of different things during COVID, which was for things like pop-up uh, events, online ordering, and uh, we just built a relationship with them. Really great company. They're a new, they are a new startup, but they've won tech awards. They're a really great company. And... They've pushed and pushed and pushed with us to pilot this stuff with them for a long time. In the end, I said to them, look, the online ordering isn't really a big deal for me. So you're kind of trying to push me into something I just don't really have that much interest in because, you know, for us to go and do 50 to 100,000 meals, you can't do that on online ordering. It's just impossible. Yeah. So, and they're aware of that, you know. So we're operating at a scale that was really kind of pushing beyond the realms of, of what they're offering. So because of that, I said, not really, really benefiting me by die by you know and i'm willing to help you regardless but that's not the right model for you um they said well what what you know what 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 would work for you and i said a completely bespoke online tech system that for a company like us and basically the deal i did with them is they said to me okay if we if we build that for you will you be happy to give us the hand of the rights to sell it to other companies and competitors of yours said yeah because we're not successful because we've got an online online digital platform so it's not a threat to me. So I just said, absolutely, yeah. You, get, you know, if that helps another company by to operate their business, well, cool. Um, uh, I'm happy with that. So you know, it's it's probably it's probably quarter of a million to four hundred thousand pounds worth of software that's being built for us, and it's being built simply so that they can resell it. So it costs me nothing. And and how far along the process are you? Um, I'm meeting with him next week to pilot it. 
Oh, cool! So this yeah. is this is close to being finished. It is the only the only issue they've got is the online prote- the online processing is through Stripe at the moment, and I'm not a fan of Stripe. It's uh, it doesn't work for us as a company. Well, so why is that? Um, it's just the the, the wa- Stripe is essentially not really a merchant service. Stripe is a kind of a link between a merchant service and your kind. Of, it's kind of a hybrid merchant service. It's it's very expensive to pay for, um, and it links you between kind of your bank account with like sales through a very basic platform i've said to them look if we're building a platform it's got to be a proper platform so because of that um they're they're in the process now of well they've 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 finalized the deal with barclay card so barclay card are going to be running um integration through their systems and that integration then um will work directly with barclay card and you don't have to pay kind of a middleman which is what basically what stripe is so uh but is it a little bit like paypal is that how it works? Kind of, yeah. PayPal, sum up all of these. You know, they're all they they're all kind of the same. But we're going to be going directly through Barclay Card. It'll be all an integrated system, and Barclay Card will be integrated and live, ready for testing in May. So what we're doing is we're running through Stripe, just are testing a couple of brands. You know, not not throwing all our eggs in one basket, but we're going to test the software. I'm meeting the director. He's coming. He's coming from America um, next week, and I'm meeting him, um, and we're going to run a test on the software through April. And if it works, we'll integrate to Barker Card by April, and then from that, hopefully, the whole the whole company will move on to that. And what what will that bring you? What what benefits will that bring the business? Uh, reduction in our merchant charges for a start from SumUp. Um, we we get a special deal from SumUp anyway. Uh, it's not the typical deal that that, that, that that your average vendor gets, but because of because we've got good amount of um, sales going through there, but um, it will give us um, a better platform more established platform and a reduced fees which you know based on what we would the, the the work we've got coming up would save us a lot of money interesting that's cool so i think we should probably film that film that meeting season. yeah we could do that yeah, yeah i think we should do that yeah. i think that i think that'd be really interesting yeah. i think that's probably a good note to finish on to be honest with you i think we've um yeah I, I think, think so. Think Stephanie, Stephanie's in Ikea buying new things for the office and she's <laughs> ringing me off the hook, so we better stop it there. <laughs> right. I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll call it there and we'll, um, we'll see you next time.